Hello, welcome to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten. I'm here with Parks Miller. Before we get started, I just want to say that just because our show is called Culture Dumps and just because most of the topics that we discuss are things that have fallen out of favor or we're making fun of it, it doesn't mean that every episode is like that. And just because we choose a topic, it doesn't mean that that topic is a joke or something goofy. It just means it's either misunderstood or something that's kind of you know, remembered for not necessarily the correct reasons, uh, th- things like that. Because today's dump is really positive, and it's it's something that I really like, and it's sad, and it made me feel sad when we were researching it. And um, it's not, again, like, you know, we, we try and keep it light, but again, not every dump is a fucking Beanie Baby or, you know, a Milli Vanilli moment. Sometimes it's just something that, again, is remembered for the wrong reasons, or just not necessarily as well known as it should be. And that is today's episode. We're talking about Is. The Is. Yeah, the undisputed king of Hawaiian music. Now Brudda Brudda is. Brudda is. Yeah. Her, are Israel, we allowed to say that? I don't know. It's like is like I feel like that's like like you have to be Hawaiian uh, to say like Brudda is. To say Brudda. I think that is a very Hawaiian thing, the Brudda in that way. Right. So, but that was some. That was like one of his common, common names he went by. R- right. It, it, ex- um, it, yes. It, exactly. And again, this is a a, a positive dump. Um, it's a little bit different than what we normally do. But the reason why we wanted to do it is because everyone fucking has heard his cover of uh, "What a Wonderful World" slash "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." Somewhere over the rainbow. And mm-hmm. like the whole thing is like this guy is way fucking bigger <laughs> in all aspects of the word uh, than just that song. Yes. Y- you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like he really is truly an icon. I mean, like when you like talk about people like I, I put him in the same ranks as say Bob Marley, right? Like he's mm-hmm. literally like a an iconic figure from Hawaii, but he's only known for this one thing, you know, th- this one song. And it's kind of ironic because he was such a like uh, a warrior for traditional Hawaiian music and, and lifestyle that for the one song for him to be known for across the entire globe is uh, two covers of American songs. You know, well, Hawaii is right. America, but not in the eyes of is. Um, well, and it's funny you say Bob Marley because that is a interesting comparison, but also Bob Marley isn't a dump. And that's right. kind of the difference, right? That's still this is still a culture dump, and it's even though w- there's this sort of sentimentality, there's a sadness, a positivity to it. I think Bob Marley was still able to leave his mark with his original music, right? And yes, there is this interesting thing where it, it is was huge in Hawaii, but like, <laughs> hey, it, is it was huge this, everywhere. <laughs> He was huge everywhere he went. <laughs> I can't um, help I mean, it. And well, to be fair, that is that is a part of it is I mean, you look at some of these album covers of him. I mean, this he was a incredibly large, physically large man. I mean, that also plays into his death, his life. Right. I mean, it was like a big part of it. So that being said, you know, Bob Marley Yeah, I get it because it kind of became this worldwide 
phenomenon. Yeah, and, and it's like that, it's peace, sense. you know. It's like this peace mm-hmm. and love kind of deal, Peaceful, you know. Positive it's, music, right? Mm-hmm. So why is this a dump? Well, is is an icon mostly known for one song, which is actually a cover and was recorded as a demo, never intended to be his legacy, but it ended up being so. And he's a perfect example of how having such a smash hit can bury your legacy under layers of superficial licensing, and that's essentially True. what we're talking about here. So let's get into it. The man behind the rainbow. Israel Kamakaviva Ole. We just had a long discussion over how to pronounce this name. Kamakaviva Ole. Um, I will say yes. that Hawaiian is or Hawaiian is one of the coolest languages ever, uh, with some of the longest words on the planet. They literally right. ha- there's a fish there that has the longest name for a fish in the world, and that I'm not even going to try to do. Um, yeah, because uh, yeah, I but I it is it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the his name Kamaka Viva Owe. Yeah, it's there's two there's two W's, so it's almost like a German thing right. where the W's <laughs> are pronounced as V's. So that I learned that, and then by Hawaii. the same token, like you just said, Hawaii. So we we were watching videos, and I've heard people say the like Hawaii, like do that thing, yeah. and you're like, okay, cool, you're tr- you're trying too hard, but. <laughs> But it's funny because in these videos, yeah, it's fucking Hawaii is like, yeah, and I'm Hawaiian. like, wow, I've just never fucking known that until I was today years old. Oh, but my God. <laughs> Have you been to Hawaii? I mean, Hawaii? Uh, I I went. Uh, so I went to Japan and had like a layover, but it was like an eight hour layover. So I like left the airport. I was like, I'm going to like put my sand, put my toes in the fucking sand. And I right. like had a burger and like a soda and like <laughs> swam and twice paradise. <laughs> yeah and then i was like gotta get back and um yeah, yeah. I, i've been uh great. two Have times you? when i was a kid and there is is shit everywhere like i remember being mm-hmm. a kid and seeing like this like pit i'm like holy fuck like that's a big that's a huge hawaiian but anyways so israel kama kaviva ole was born on may 20th 1959 into a musically inclined family just about every family member was talented whether it be singing playing guitar ukulele keyboard whatever it may be and from an early age it was clear that israel was to be the next voice of the family and while he was born in honolulu the state's capital he was raised in kaimuki his family upheld hawaiian traditions especially when it came to music and they listened to and played traditional Hawaiian music. His uncle was another famed Hawaiian musician named Mo Kiale, and through his family connections, Israel had run-ins with other Hawaiian music legends like Peter Moon, Palani Vaughn, and Don Ho. And Don Ho is like the fucking Elvis of Hawaii, whereas Iz would be like the right. Bob Marley. Um, I'm yeah. only using these comparisons <laughs> because, like, Again, most people are have only heard his cover, you know, that's been used in every fucking movie ever and played at every funeral ever and every fucking mm-hmm. uh, what, yeah. like gender announcement for babies ever. Like it, this song is all over the fucking place. But, um, you know, but yeah, Don Ho is kind of what people think uh, they, they even mentioned in the Sopranos there, Parks, <laughs> Don Ho. Um <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> you know, so so he's you know he was around these legends. He wasn't you know just like it came out of nowhere. He was around people that were really well known um, in that world and in Hawaiian music. So Israel's first experiences performing for an audience were with his brother Skippy as well as his cousins. And in the early seventies, his brother joined the military and is studied at the University of Hawaii at Haile. But 
he dropped out to pursue his interest in music and island life in general. And that's a huge part of the whole is story is that he just really loved being from Hawaii. Like he mm-hmm. like truly just enjoyed like sitting on the beach. I don't know what you do there. You eat, you drink, uh, you drink chi-chis and you're eat eating, pineapples. That's what you do if you're a tourist. Fish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You eat fresh fish, the one with the uh, world's longest name, uh, stuff like that. But and from all accounts, like growing up, I guess he was kind of spoiled and he was kind of like the babied one. And also everyone in his family. Well, not everyone, but his brother, Skippy, for instance, gigantic. I mean, these are big, Mm -hmm. big boys. And when I say big boys, I will say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I when I went for the few hours, I did see I saw a few few big boys myself. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's that island life. Some, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either, uh, but I definitely noticed, and it's just a very, it's an interesting because it's the United States, but then it it seems so different than I mean, and it's just out. It's an island in the middle of the ocean. It's not like right. really the rest of the U.S., the continental U.S., but at the same time, there are these very American things about it. And like, well, that know, comes like from you mentioning Elvis taken into the yeah, country, you know, right? You like so, it, but it still kind of has this just unique melding of the identities of having this Hawaiian like life culture before that, but then having these distinct U.S. things. And like you said, Don Ho being the Elvis, it's funny because you even associate Elvis with Hawaii. With Hawaii, he yeah, went there so many times. And so right. even, even in a lot of this music that we were listening to, it has these like it sound like kind of the melodies or the singing style. It like it has this this island Hawaiian they croon. Like style. They're like crooners. Over but then there. there's like this very much like country western, like very traditional American, like what you would think like almost like yeah, like country music kind of yeah i I could i I could see that and and we'll get into that in in just a second here um so real quick is and his family they leaned heavily again towards traditional hawaiian music and they pushed to get this style of music recognized in the same light that hawaiian exploitation music was at the time now when i say hawaiian exploitation you know hawaii became a state in 1959 it's the last state in the union that's pretty like that's not that long ago and tourism began Mm -hmm. to boom and the reason why there's such like a kind of Americana feel to Hawaii is because of its importance during World War II. So you have all these soldiers stationed right. there, you know, and that's why like spam is used in like Hawaiian cooking and like macaroni salad and stuff. It's like this comes from the um, the mainland influence during World War II. And then, you know, it becomes a right. state and now everyone can go there freely. You don't need a passport or anything. Uh, it becomes more accessible. Air mm-hmm. travel becomes more accessible at this time. So, and then you have people, yes, like Elvis doing like movies there. And then you have Bing Crosby with Mele Khalid it's the thing to say the Christmas song you know right. and all, all that stuff's mm-hmm. coming out and then you have Hawaiian shirts and then like in the whole shebang and like tiki drinks and like all this stuff is coming out and this idea of what island life is like but it's all kind of caricatured esque in a way you know yes. it's, it's not yes. really what it's like and that's the whole thing with Iz Iz was like nope like we're taking that back like no more of this fucking lame Fucking, you know, you come over here with your Hawaiian shirts and your zinc on your nose and like, you know, you drink out of a coconut and you think, you know, everything. Fuck Mm -hmm. that. I don't even want to be. We don't even want to be a state. You know, we were an island. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we were helping you guys out. And now 
Mm-hmm. Now it's this, you know, now it's this monster where all these fucking idiots come like me. So, you know, and, and again, becoming a state, it wasn't something that the majority of Hawaiian natives supported. Um, and again, overnight, they could almost see their culture being mass produced and taken advantage of. So when his brother Skippy returned from duty in 1976, he and is, along with Sam Gray, Jerome Coco and Louis Kawakai, formed the group, the Makaha Sons of Niau. Now, this group became instantly popular on their island and soon became the leading Hawaiian roots group in the state. Their first album, No Cristo, was released the year of their formation and was followed by several more albums that are still considered to be the quintessential Hawaiian listening. These are legendary Mm -hmm. albums, and it's good. I mean, it all, it has this vibe. Hawaii has its own kind of music, you know, no doubt about it. And yes, there is a lot of uh, really pretty harmonies. Yeah, again, these like. It's very like peaceful music, but then it also is kind of tinged with like a sadness to it. Yes, it, it's it's that's why like when I was like watching like all this shit about is I was like fuck like I'm like bummed like I don't get bummed like over dumps. So I was like this one's mm-hmm. this is a fucking bummer. But they're fucking huge guys. I mean, yeah, really big guys. Is and his brother Skippy are gigantic, and Is would always jokingly describe his size as a Hawaiian small, which like. If that's a Hawaiian small, there is no room on the planet for a Hawaiian large. Um, and but essentially what a Hawaiian small translates to is literally being over six feet tall and over 500 pounds. Like that, like they never, yes. like once they hit their 20s, they never dipped below being 500 pounds. They're gigantic. And so right. mm-hmm. these guys, I mean, and that kind of lends a kind of a vibe I guess that's the word for it like too when you watch them play like and this beautiful voice is coming out of these guys this crooning you know and and also like you know the ukulele is a very small instrument the so you have these giant incredible. guys with these tiny little guitars and uh-huh. it's it's like a whole fucking thing and uh i mean that that's kind of part of the whole deal with, with, with them now in 1982 at the age of 28 skippy died due to obesity related complications and this was devastating to the group and to his brother and family the hawaiian music fans you know they mourn the loss of a member of the group that many considered to be the sound of hawaii and it was that same year that Iz married his longtime girlfriend and the two had a daughter. So there's a lot going on in Iz's life now. A lot of stuff for him to be sad about, a lot of stuff for him to be happy about. And that kind of goes into that sound you were talking about where it's so beautiful, it's so peaceful, but there is a melancholy to it. And I, I mm-hmm. think it just has to do with like the setting sun over the white sand beaches. You know, it's, you know, life's a beautiful thing. Someone leaves, another one arrives. Uh, it's a, the dichotomy of man, beautiful. I guess. Now, the Makaha mm-hmm. Sons of Niau continued to record albums throughout the 80s, and they performed what are considered to be the seminal concerts in the history of Hawaiian music. Now, besides their authentic sound and link to other Hawaiian music greats, the group was so successful because of their outspokenness about Hawaiian sovereignty and their desire to preserve the traditions of their island and people. Now, this was particularly important to Israel, who became a symbol of Hawaiian pride. That's a huge thing. They talk about the good old days. They talk about, I mean, some of these guys were around before Hawaii was a state, you know, and and before it was a big Mm -hmm. tourist, you know, capital and and all that stuff. So that became kind of like a, um, like the, the, the marching call, the, the, the war call. It's like, you know, Hawaiian independence. And, and so, that's mm-hmm. why, I mean, anyone can enjoy this music, but it became particularly important to the natives of Hawaii, the people that grew up there, had, you know, family history yes. there. Mm-hmm. And as the 1990s approached, is is what his uh, 
you know, the shorthand of, of Israel's name. He would go by Is or Brutta Is uh, on the island. Uh, as the 1990s approached, right. Is began to feel the effects of his lifestyle and size and was having to stay in the hospital more and more. During a stint in the hospital to attempt to lose weight, he decided it was time to leave the group and go solo. From his hospital bed, he contacted the owner of Mountain Apple Company, a Hawaiian record label who had dealings with his band, to break the news. Now, did you see this guy? The owner of the record Which label? No, I don't think I saw him. Dude, he is... So he's a white guy. His name is John DeMalo. And he, this is like the guy that would move to Hawaii and start a record label. Like, when you look at this guy, you're okay, like... I'm looking oh, at yeah, it's like how... Yeah, yeah. Like, the only way he even gets a fucking pass, like, <laughs> you know, talking about Hawaiian roots and the beauty of the island and all this stuff, and it doesn't come off, like, bad, is because he fucking signed is. So it's like, that's his only saving yeah, grace. Right, Because right. otherwise, this is literally <laughs> a guy wearing leather sandals with fucking a Hawaiian shirt, like... Talking about uh -huh. the fucking island. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, he yeah. gets a pass because he released so many of the most iconic Hawaiian albums of all time. Now, when John DeMalo arrived at the hospital to discuss this career change with Iz, he found his room and hallways crowded with staff and patients alike who would gather every day to hear him play. And it was this impromptu concert that showed the record executive that Iz could 100% be a solo artist and needed to be. Um, Interesting note, too. Iz became um, well-known for closing his eyes while he performed. It doesn't seem like that's that important of a thing. But, like, when you think about anyone you've ever seen perform, they usually don't have their eyes closed the entire time. Yeah, I mean, it'd just be, you know, harder to... You're not... He just knows the ukulele so well that he well, doesn't and that's have the to other ever thing. look at it, you know? They, they would always say, you know, oh, Iz had such a... a a good strum like with ukulele there's like you know it's mm -hmm. a, just like with any instrument there's a you know technicality to it and stuff and they would always say oh he has this great strum and i don't know if it comes from like the literal shape of his hands like these big thick fingers just like delicately yeah, gliding big, across big the poor string yeah i mean big old mitts like let's just say like, like again i don't want to harp <laughs> on his size too much even though that is such an like integral part of the story but is is like the perfect candidate for someone that would wear a t-shirt in the pool like, <laughs> you know, the type, he, like, but he does have that one album where he's very he's in the pool. He's in the water and he's definitely not wearing a shirt. Yeah, no, he's letting him fly. Yeah. <laughs> but like, well, he was in the pool a lot, too, because what, uh, apparently when he was in the pool, he was able to move around. It's like a physical therapy kind of a thing, you know, because you're able to move mm. around more. It's not like you don't feel all the weight that you're carrying around. So he would, you know, go in the pool and would just like walk around for like a long ass time because he could barely move outside of the pool and, and that's the whole thing so yeah. this is the rise of literally the biggest man in show business is released it's his the, first uh, solo album <laughs> what alone alone in is world is the one where he's floating oh, on, on, on the, in the pool but, <laughs> but then it's like a pool but then it's kind of the top of the pool's been like cut off so it kind of looks like a globe so like it looks right. like he's just floating in earth and is taking up like half it's very of 90s uh and then it just says alone in is world which is like i guess like a pun of like his world his or it's world, just like his world his world, man's world. world yeah um <laughs> it's quite a cover 
Yeah, uh, it, it's sexy is what it is. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he released his first solo album, which was called Ka Anoi in 1990. And that was a regional success. And it won him a couple of Hawaiian music awards because, you know, that they have their own like they have their own award ceremonies for stuff like that, for, for the arts and stuff like just within the island. But in 1993, after a very serene and beautiful series of recording sessions at a secluded mountaintop studio, as described by John DeMallo, uh, he released what would be his masterpiece, the album Facing Future. Now, this session has been described as like, you know, Iz would just walk out there and as the fog cascaded down the mountaintops and the sun was pink in the sky like so much cotton candy he would just mm -hmm. play his little drum or his ukulele and, and he would just kind of freestyle and he had like all this you know like all these songs about the beauty of the island and Hawaiian independence and it was like just this this thing but the interesting thing about it is that album included his super famous smash hit song, The Whole Reason Why We're Doing This, and that wasn't even recorded during this session. So th there's that. Mm -hmm. The album uh, did include such classics as Hawaii 78, White Sandy Beach of Hawaii, beautiful song, Maui Hawaii Superman, and a newly recorded version of a demo that he had recorded back in 1988. That demo was an on-the-fly medley of the 1939 song from the film Wizard of Oz, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and the 1967 Louis Armstrong song, What a Wonderful World. And Iz would play this medley usually as an encore at concerts or at impromptu performances, which he was known to do usually at schools or at public parks. You know, he would just set up. You really couldn't miss the guys. So he'd be like, oh, fuck, that's Brutta Iz. Let's go check this out. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, and he loved that. And like, there's so many videos of like, like kids really liked him. Like they would just like crawl all over him and like would like yeah. sit around him, you know, in mass. And like for some reason, like, like it's like, he looks like a character. He looks like a character out of a fairy tale, like this giant, six hundred pound Hawaiian man with like a huge smile on his face and like and a, a beautiful ukulele. voice, voice of an and angel, just, just positivity radiating from him. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a perfect thing as like a child to just be. He was like a Hawaiian Hagrid. Is, is, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like it's like the thing, you know, where it's like you can either scare the shit out of kids by being gigantic or they'll just embrace you like a fucking big Snorlax or something. Um, so after releasing, you know, Facing Future, is mania ensued. The sad part, though, about his rise to success is that the more popular his music became, the worse his health became. And Iz began performing less and less due to the increasing difficulty of playing a concert. It was not uncommon for him to have to be lifted to the stage by forklift or even crane in some instances. Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And we, and we saw some video of that. And we'll that be posting photos of, of, of this. Yeah. And again, we're not, yeah. you know. I'm not trying to make fun of brother is here. I'm just, this, this is just how it was. And the uh, same the, goes for yeah, plane is, trips. He would have to literally be mm -hmm. lifted by a crane, like a fucking wrecking ball, you know, like yeah. onto the stage. And they said like, even like he'd play these concerts and he'd kind of, once he was sitting in his chair on the stage, he could sometimes just be sitting there that was it. for like <laughs> that four was it. hours. It was he's almost there. like he does his sound check. He's just sitting and then it's like, all right, it's time to play. And he's just not moving or leaving. Um, so it does sound very physically demanding and strenuous. But, you know, sometimes even they would do the show and then he would meet. He'd be meeting fans after and kind of there was just a very good, loving description of how he even though it was kind of this physically uncomfortable thing for him to do it, he still loved 
to perform. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he always would, you know, he would be interviewed a lot about, like, you you know, his size and shit would always come up or the death of his brother Skippy, you know, who was, you know, very similar in stature to him. And he would always say, like, you know, Hawaiians, we live in two worlds. Like, there's this world and then there's the world that we all are going to live in. And I'm not really scared Mm -hmm. of dying because I don't, I'm not really going to die. And in a way, that is true. Um, But he also had to use an oxygen tank on stage to maintain Mm -hmm. his ability to sing for prolonged periods of time. And never being one to get down on himself, his size became a symbol of warmth to his fans, and he was like a true gentle giant, as they say. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, Hawaii small is what he called himself. Um, And yeah, like he would do like like he would often play like if he was going to do a signing or something like you just said he would play in the same spot that then they would like bring a table out and put it in front of him and he could be in the same mm-hmm. chair for 4 to 6 hours yeah. you know just just sitting yeah. there but and it in it again it is the image of him per, there's this one concert i think from like 96 that's like kind of and I, i'm sure we'll get to that more but it's this very yeah. famous concert and we but to the the sight of the oxygen tank, like the t- going, to, I mean, it is just something you. It's kind of, he- it's, it's you, really it's, heavy. It's, yeah. It's striking. Yeah. So, well, you know, so but, to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I see you looking at me, motherfucker. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it, it is. It, it's a thing. And, you know, um, there's like a great video of this like senior choir where, um, this one guy, he he's singing with an oxygen tank, and you can hear it clicking off the whole time, and it kind of adds like a timbre to the whole thing. It's not like that; like you weren't hearing it, but yeah, he had to wear that shit, and it's just like oof, like this guy doesn't have much longer. Now, Facing Future reached number twenty-five on the Billboard charts and became the first Hawaiian album to reach platinum status after selling over a million copies, which is you know huge. And his following albums were successes as well, but not to the extent that Facing Future was. His following albums included songs that leaned more towards Hawaiian independence and other political themes, even further solidifying his iconic status in the Aloha state. Now, one of the highlights of his career, this is what you were talking about, and a highlight in just the history of Hawaiian traditional music, was his performance at the 1996 Nahoku Awards, which is widely considered to be the most important concert in contemporary Hawaiian music. It's mm-hmm. great. It's like, if you have 15 yeah. minutes and you want to just fucking chill on an island time, brother, check this shit out. It is fucking yeah. awesome, but that's that's him up there, you know, sunglasses, oxygen tank. It's it's pretty rough, but his old band, you know, the the brothers of whatever it was, the Makaha brothers, they come up mm-hmm. and uh, they they play like their hit, and this is essentially like going to see Paul McCartney and then the Beatles come up, you know, to sing fucking a Beatles song, mm-hmm. like and like grown men and people are weeping in the crowds. It's like like mm-hmm. this was a legendary thing. Yeah. No, no one there will ever forget that they were there. This is like the, this is like being at the original Woodstock. You know, we always talk about Woodstock '99. Mm-hmm. This is like iconic on the on that level. This is like Monterey Pop. This is this is up there as far as legendary performances. Um, and you know, there, I yeah, would say in American guy, music, but it's cr- it's not American mm-hmm. music. This is Hawaiian music, and they want to make that very clear. Right, right. No, that's a that's a very good point. Um, yeah, there's this one one man who is the camera kind of finds him and he just cannot hold (laughs) his shit together together. (laughs) he is just like being brought to tears by the the voice the voice of an angel how could you not and um and it's just great and i mean yeah and in preparing for this i've just been listening to is and it's you know you you get 
it it takes you to a place. It's a it's it's very calm. It's peaceful. Yes. And that place know. is the white sandy beaches of Hawaii. Uh, we're gonna go. play a little clip from that song really quick, just so I don't have to keep talking about it. I saw you in my dream. We were walking hand in hand on a white sandy beach of Hawaii. We were playing in the sun. We were having so much fun on a white sandy beach of Hawaii. Now, one year later, Brutta Is won four awards from the prestigious Hawaiian Music Awards ceremony. Unfortunately, he watched the ceremony from a hospital bed where he would die shortly after. He passed away on June 26, 1997, at the age of 38 from respiratory failure. Now, his friends, family, and fans, they like to point out like this is something that I saw specifically in these documentaries about him that it was respiratory failure and not heart failure because his heart was just too big to fail much like the great bank giants of the mainland <laughs> just too big to fail uh, you, you know it, it was his lungs not his heart it was the egg rolls not the ecstasy um, but it, <laughs> that's a little eastbound <laughs> reference for you folks but you know it's like yeah and, and again it's in a good way it's not like the banks and shit but yeah so he dies, and that becomes, like, the biggest news story in Hawaii, I mean, since fucking, like, Pearl Harbor, pretty much. I mean, it was a hugely impactful thing. The death of Iz was a gigantic blow to Hawaiian culture, which, because of his music, was going through a kind of renaissance in the 90s. And on July 10th, 1997, flags across the state flew at half-mast for the singer, and his casket was displayed at the state capitol for a public service that was attended by approximately 10,000 people. That's a lot for That's Hawaii. A lot of people. You yeah. know, uh, like, oh, yeah. uh, oh, oh, you know, if you're Definitely. on the mainland, if you're in like California or New York or something, yeah, you probably get a lot more. But this is Hawaii. That's a shit ton of people. And he was the third person to receive that honor. And he was the only of those three to not be a government official. It was like senators, governors, like like those are the people mm -hmm. that got their, you know, casket displayed and with the flags. But no, is had mm -hmm. that. And again, this was like john lennon or michael jackson dying i mean it was that big yeah. radio hosts and tv mm -hmm. stations they interrupted programming to announce this and like there's footage of like you know yeah. these djs announcing it and they're you know they're fucking not able to hold it together you know ha yeah. having to be the person to tell or, everyone you know or like bob marley dying i mean both of them yeah you know were it, too soon gone too soon still had you know at least from a musical sense you had the impression that they would could be doing this for much longer. They had more. It could have gone on forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so just kind of, especially with the Bob Marley, I mean, be, you know, of a tragic, you know, medical condition, right. You know, medical yeah. complications. So yeah, it's just, very, it's a, it's a huge deal. Yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. And again, like to interrupt programming for like a singer, like, you know, celebrities die all the time. You know what I mean? And it's very right. rare where it's like everything stops. This was one of those moments. Mm -hmm. Now, on July 12th, 1997, the ashes of Brutta Is were scattered at Makua Beach from a traditional Hakulea canoe. And this is a very traditional Hawaiian boat. It's like got like two kind of boats like going that are connected by beams and it's got mm -hmm. a giant sail. And 
It's it was a kind of boat that Iz was never able to actually board due to his size, but he always mm. wanted to be on it because of the historical wow. significance That's, and their yeah. tradition. And dude, the urn was gigantic. <laughs> yeah. That dude made a lot of ashes. A lot of I'm ash. just like, like I'm just saying like his urn was like yeah. a fucking basketball. It was gigantic. And like but and so they dump it and I yeah, I don't like even a know if like ball size. Because, like, it shows them dumping it in this video, and it's like, I don't think anyone realized just how much ashes there is going to be, because, like, when they start pouring it, it's just like, oh, fuck, like, this is a shitload of ashes, and it's just, like, blowing all over the place. It's a whole thing. But let's get into the legacy of his song. Now, there is no debate that is Somewhere Over the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World medley is the best-known song from the Hawaiian legend, and that is the reason we did this episode. The song has been used in over 40 films, dozens of television shows, and collectively the song has been listened to on YouTube over a billion times it's out of control any any time someone like makes like a little fan video for it you're almost guaranteed a hundred thousand views I mean like because just people are constantly looking for this song and it's interesting and ironic in a way that a singer who was so iconic for maintaining Hawaiian tradition and rejected mainland styles of music became so well known for this cover it's also ironic that the song is used in so many of what would be considered Hawaiian exploitation films like 50 first dates forgetting Sarah Marshall etc just the these films that take place in Hawaii and you get to make the Hawaiian jokes and there's going to be a big guy yeah. that's like, you know, watching out for the girl and like, hey, brother, like, don't you, you take care mm-hmm. of her? Like kind of well, shit. That's, yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the thing with Hawaiian culture is because it, it's almost like because it's part of the United States, it has this built in tourist exploitation factor. I mean, Absolutely. the U.S. kind of does it to our we do it to like the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls we do it to like the things in the United States but this is like that with this this island this quote unquote exotic this uh, different appeal as opposed to you, you know say the the white right. guy tourist and so it's i mean even the ukulele itself is yeah. like this instrument that on one hand it's like to some people, it's like this is a very traditional instrument that relates to your family, your ancestry. And then to other people, it's like, oh, like, let me it just automatically reads as a joke. And I think that that's yeah, kind of well, what's straight up, dude. about Hawaii's culture. No, no lie. My mom is literally in a band called the Ukuleles. And it's a ukulele band, yeah. <laughs> and like, and you know, don't well, dude, they I play like, some is? They'll be they be playing is, but oh, also yeah. the ukulele. It's like if you're not doing Hawaiian stuff, you're like a like busker from like fucking Portland, like some like crust punk, yes, like singing about like drinking forties, right. you know. The uk yeah, the ukulele had its own dumpy moment in like the two <laughs> thousands. I, it was like uh, a lot of folk bands kind of uh, folk bands had a revival. I know that Mumford and Sons did not have a ukulele, but when that sort of style, like you're saying, like sort of the clean crust punk, like the, the yeah. train kid who showers every day. The I feel train like kid a, with the phone. Ed, yeah. Edward Sharp in the Magnetic Zero. Oh, I swear like good. that had to have been like a ukulele band. We've talked about this, like dude. That, that's the, hey music. The Lumineers. That's hay um, music. It's and then, hay. But, yeah. <laughs> That's hay yeah. music. And then yeah. the big one was that song by Train. Hey, soul sister. That one. <laughs> I feel like that was hey. like a huge yeah. ukulele song. And so then there became this whole other thing 
which is, again, what's so interesting about his cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, because that kind of was like this weird like the, blueprint. The start. Because, because then there became this whole phenomenon on YouTube of people doing popular covers on the ukulele and yeah, like thanks, doing Iz. them on YouTube. And then those would get like millions God. of views. And then there became this trend of like, let's do trap. Like, it's like, let's have the widest person you know oh my god cover, like a trap song on the shit. ukulele and like add these melodies to it yeah and like bitches some, ain't shit yeah, yeah I, right oh god dude which it's again like, it's is old. like objectively just like very like grown worthy music so it's like this weird thing that even the like his hit has this yeah. novelty element and like you said it also just wasn't really his mo he was about making this traditional music. He does this cover and then boom, it like has the effect. It, it, there's just this sort of comp this irony to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he created a monster and like, but like the, also the, there's like a lot of like dickhead critic type people like that will pick apart the is medley and be like, well, he doesn't even do the right lyrics, which is true. The lyrics aren't the same. You know, he does like he, he I don't know if he messes them up or if he just was kind of just singing what he knew. But, they're you know, and structurally, the songs are a little different than how they actually were. It's they're not like perfect mm -hmm. covers. Yeah. It, it's like they're very loose. This was, you know, a, a throwaway demo that he had done, but it was so popular that they're like, oh, you should re-record this for your album. That fucking then becomes the biggest thing. I think the first film it was in was um, the Brad Pitt one, uh, Meet Joe Black, where he plays the like Grim oh, Reaper. Right. Yeah, a uh, good kind of deal. Very stylistic '90s thing created like a big hairstyle trend. Um, but also, it, it's literally one of the most played songs in America at funerals. It's like that—that that is a funeral fucking song, like funerals and births. Mm. Um, but what does it all mean? What does is and all this mean? I think it means that every amazing song was sung by a person. That's the dumbest thing I've ever said on the show. Uh, these people sometimes get buried, though, underneath the success of their hit, and because of that, we lose a lot of what the artist stood for or had to offer besides the single. Larger-than-life figures, both literally and figuratively, deserve more recognition than just film credits, and the more of those there are, the more watered-down the beauty of the piece becomes. And that's the dumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think also just it gets into certain one hit wonders, which is not something a word we've been using a ton in it. But in a way, you can have this where you like you said, you have that one big cultural moment, the hit that just really uh, transcends a lot of other it, it, it sticks out like is had a ton of popularity as an artist. But yeah, you cannot deny that the summer of a rainbow is just so much more popular than a lot of other stuff. I mean, that's yeah, one of the most popular songs in the world. You know, it's right. not just it's yeah. not just his most popular song. It's one of the most listened to songs my, on the planet. My my friend uh, bandmate Eric, he said that in the I guess he was living in New York City in like the early 2000s. He said every yoga class he went to, <laughs> they it was like guaranteed you were going to hear the somewhere over the rainbow. And yeah, so, absolutely. However that fits in, it totally fits in, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like also, again, it's like a song that like really old people like on their way out of this earthly plane can enjoy. But it's also like a song for babies, you know, yes. <laughs> like babies like that, too. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like it became like kind of like the, the like that is the audible 
symbol of Hawaii. You know, it's like if you want like an audio sample of what Hawaii like, you know, like the the like how it comes across to most people or what most people think of Hawaii, it's this fucking song and it's yeah, it's a shame because is was so much more to so many people than just that and even to himself he probably wouldn't have been that stoked that that's like his lasting legacy because those songs aren't about Hawaii and that's what he really wanted to champion was yeah. how much he loved the island so so y'all go and go and like check out check out some Hawaiian culture you know because there's there is actually some really good good music there so it's amazing let's, let's, Dude, let's watch in our that way concert. try to promote his you know what he wanted of, of, yeah. of uh, you know actually being a champion for for his culture and yeah it's, it's and, really and if you go stuff. to hawaii just fucking don't be a dick about it you know yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like and just enjoy it and uh check out is but white sandy beaches of hawaii is a way better song than somewhere over the rainbow um so with that being said folks make sure that you sign up for our patreon we are going to post all these videos and a bunch of is stuff on there we have stuff for every episode we've ever done on there that's patreon.com slash culture dumps follow us on instagram at culture dumps if you have a suggestion please send it on over to culture dumps at gmail.com i'm ryan lichten i've been joined by parks miller and if you eat it up we dump it out
high above the chimney top that's where Why, oh why can't I